0: The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Well, good morning. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me if you would in first Thessalonians, first. Well, Thanksgiving is this week, and uh, one of the traditions that many people share is that during the meal or before the meal, they'll take turns going around the table just talking about one thing or perhaps a couple things that they are thankful for, and so. People will say things like, you know, I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful that I live in in America, in a free country. And and on and on it goes. And these are good things. But ultimately, what they usually end up coming back to is thankfulness for family, thankful for, for people in our lives. And what we're talking about this morning is how to be a Christian that other people thank God for. This morning we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. And what we're going to read about is a church filled with Christians that others thank God for. In, in journalism, they say don't bury the lead. So here's, a, here's the lead. The Thessalonians were a church that others thanked God for because they lived like they really believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in our passage this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1 through 10. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's Word. Reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in worship. I pray, Father, that the Word of God would have its intended effect of stirring us up to love and good works. We thank you for uh, all the blessings that you give us. We thank you for this country. As uh, flawed as it might be, we are grateful for it. We thank you for those people you've put in our lives who have, have been a blessing to us. And we pray that we would glorify you by being the type of Christians that others thank God for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I put the sermon together, I have this moment where I always step back and say, how do I illustrate this thing? Well, since the Apostle Paul is talking about Christians that he is thankful for, it made sense to me to sort of walk down memory lane and think back over some Christians that I am thankful for. Now, I almost feel like I need to to say this because Mom and Dad usually watch either right now or later. Uh, I I mention Mom and Dad a lot in my sermons, and I'm thankful for them. But I, I wanted to focus on other other Christians. And as I went down this memory lane, I said, you know, I don't want to say too many things because I'm going to be talking about people that none of you know except for mm, Chrissy. Nevertheless, the other day Chrissy had this uh, thing she shared on Facebook, and I'm going to kind of mess it up, but it basically just said this. It talked about people who just kind of go from life, from scene to scene, floating around, bringing joy and happiness wherever they go. Now, I saw that she shared that, and the first thing I thought of was a lady named Sherry Brawley and then we sat down later that night and she she saw that Sherry had posted on on the same thing and said well Christy this is you and I looked at Chris and I said well that's funny because as soon as I saw that I thought of Sherry she said me too there is something about her she's really this uh, gracious lady and if you if you first off if she was in the room I couldn't talk about this in fact the first time I met her for, when I first met her somebody said hey make sure to give thanks from the I just started at the church they said make sure to thank David and Sherry publicly because they had donated something. I said, "Sure, I'll I'll do that." I'm new here; I don't know anything. And so I thanked them publicly. I didn't hardly know them yet. I think I'd been there two weeks maybe. And I afterwards, somebody pulled me aside and said, "David and Sherry never like to have people mention them." So they're not here, but I am going to tell them about the sermon. I'm going to tell Sherry about the sermon. I'll say I talked about you today so check it out. There's, when you're around her, there's a funny thing about her. She, she labors. I've worked hard with her in youth ministry. I've served with her on various committees. She's always joyous, always happy, works hard, loves people. She is gracious, and she has this uncanny ability to be able to see the best in people, even those who have been historically done wrong to her. It, it's an uncanny thing. She, she is obviously, the work of God is obvious in her. I think if I could put it down in one simple sentence, I would say she understands what grace looks like because she has experienced her, it herself. And maybe you have people in your life. I'm grateful for her. She, Chrissy is grateful that we've had the opportunity to, to know Sherry. And maybe you've got somebody like that in your life. Who is it that in your life, when you look back, somebody in your church, maybe your childhood, and you say, I, I'm thankful for them. I've been a part of Calvary Baptist Church for less than a year and a half, and I will say one name that I know many of you are thankful for, and that's Pastor Joe. Having had the opportunity to meet him, I know why you're thankful for him. He does work hard because of his faith. He does labor of love. You know, you meet, meet people like this who have this, uh, this steadfastness of hope, even during difficult days. And I thought about somebody who has steadfastness of hope. I, I thought back to First Baptist Hermitage, which was in my early days in ministry was like this, picture of what church ought to be like. And I remember Pastor Jeremy said, you can search the nation over and you'll never find a church like First Baptist Hermitage. I think I finally might have done so, but it took a long time. When I thought back, I said, there's this fellow, and I couldn't remember his name. I had to text my friend Mike. What was that guy's name? Well, here, his name was Roger Ames. He was the custodian, or we call him the caretaker at the church. And he was, he had this steadfast hope that there would be a revival and he had this steadfast hope that it was going to start amongst the teenagers. And so we had this, this youth conference, and there would be 300 kids come from nowhere, from all over the place. And you're talking about a town of 500 people. And we, we filled up all the hotels. I mean, So he sees these people sitting there, these young people, teenagers, listening to the Word of God preached several times a day during this conference, singing, God, he, singing God's praises. He is the custodian. He's not complaining because they mess up everything. They do. Teenagers do. Make the place messy. He, he does all the work, and yet in the middle of all this, he's walking down the hall saying, glory to God. Glory. He had been hoping and praying for years that revival was going to break out, and he thought, this is it. Kids are praising God, worshiping, and during that conference we saw people get saved. They still do the conference. But one night I remembered, it was a, it was a Friday night. It was a two-night conference, and he passed away. And now that's A sad story, but then I thought, no, he is burned in my brain forever as the guy who had this steadfast hope that God would bring revival to young people's lives. And he got to see it, and he said glory, and then God took him home. Steadfastness of hope. I am thankful for him. I I am thankful for sharing. And if you think about your life and people that God has sent your way, who are you thankful for? When you think about it, I could sum it up in one sentence. The reason that we are thankful for them is because they lived like they really believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would that look like? How do we do that? Let's take a deeper look at, at our passage. First, Thessalonians 1, verse 2 and 3. We see that the Thessalonians lived like they really believed the gospel. We, thank, we give thanks to God always for all of you. How would you like to hear that in a letter? Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gave thanks to God because the Thessalonians lived like they believed in Jesus. They didn't just believe in Jesus. They lived like they believed in Jesus Christ. They had a transformed life. These were people that came from paganism and idolatry. The Thessalonians came to Christ out of this country, this city, that was wealthy, had idolatry, and mixed with the idolatry, especially in the old world, came sexual immorality. And they turned from, to God from this life, and there was a difference about them. They were f- faithful, hopeful, loving. They were transformed, and a transformed life gives others reason to praise God. God for us. And as as Calvary, and you can see it's going to be published repeatedly, you're going to hear me talk about it. How does transformation happen? Through gathering together in worship, growing in groups and in personal discipleship, personal devotion in life, and then going and serving the people of God and those outside of the people of God. When we begin to do this, we begin to become transformed and we become the type of people that others... Thank God for. There's also, let's think about this in opposite. What, what, what's the opposite? Well, there's a negative side. If somebody were to have lack of faith, if somebody was a believer, had lack of faith, lack of love, and hope, it has a negative effect on others. And I, I think this, I like to say that I'm a realist, but the truth is I'm really closer to a pessimist by nature. But that lack of hope will have an effect on others. And so I look at somebody like a Sharon. I say, I want to be like that. She had this, always had this hope that as rough as these people were, as messed up as their decision-making were consistently bad choices, they could be different when God got a hold of them. I need to be more like that. I want to be the type of person that other people thank God for. And, and so we see there's a, always, as Christians, there's a need for transformation. I had an opportunity this morning even to have a brief conversation with a brother in Christ who... who He didn't know he was saying it. I heard it. My ears were telling me this. He is a man who's still learning from God's word. There's this moment in life when you come, you're like, wow, I've been learning, studying the Bible for years and years. You know, there's this new level of depth I never saw before. And, And so there's always a need. Christian, we need to continue to pursue spiritual growth and transformation so they can become the type of people that others thank God for. Well, When our life lacks love, it's not very attractive. And sometimes when a person has lots of knowledge of the Bible, they tend to be a little unloving. They don't mean it to be that way. But they seem to lack love. Knowledge puffs up. The Thessalonians, I'm not saying they were ignorant Christians about doctrine. What I am saying is what they were known for was faith, hope, and love. These are the key virtues of a life that others thank God for. When your life and my life has works of faith, labors of love, and perseverance and hope, we will be the type of person that others thank God for. Who do you want to be around? Christians who are loving, love God, love the Bible, love others, or those who are not? That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be around. Uh, people who have hope, optimism, not because, not because the circumstances, they have this Pollyannish view of life, rather because they understand that with God all things are possible, and they really believe they could see it in their life. People who have works of faith. Now, Tony Evans puts it this way. What will distinguish you in a cold and different world it's not how many Bible verses you quote or how intense your emotions are, but how tangibly you serve others in faith, hope, and love. The reason I thought of Sherry, is because I could point to all these tangible ways that she served God and others and did so, and absolutely repulsed at the idea that people would point it out. That was a thing of beauty. So when we want to become people that others thank God for, we need to live like we really be- believe the gospel. Faith, hope, love. Sometimes faith, hope, and love looks like extend- extending grace to others who are in need of grace. Can I tell you one thing? This is a little side note. This wasn't part of the sermon notes. One of the things I came to the conclusion about with long-standing Christians, and I would put myself in that group, we sometimes have amnesia about the fact that we needed grace. A great deal of grace in order to be forgiven and still need it. I know I do. You guys are really great Christians. I I still need people to be gracious towards me, and I still need God to be gracious. Part of the Gospel is a recognition that we need God's grace. So we should live like we believe the Gospel, but also verse 4 and 5 says we should live like you are loved by God. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Well, what, let's, let's address that last part of verse 5. What kind of men? Well, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, and so they came to, to Thessalonica. They were there for apparently just three short weeks before they were run out of town. Everywhere they went in that town, they were harassed. And the reason was the Jews became very jealous because Gentiles were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and were becoming disciples of the Lord Jesus. It got so bad, they literally dragged a man named Jason out of his own house so they could drag him into prison, to court. And after Paul the Apostle finally was run out of town, he went to Berea. And when the Thessalonians heard that he was there. You know what they did? The Jews came to Thessalonica, to, from Thessalonica to Berea to beat him up some more. Yet Paul continued to be faithful to the Lord, even though it wasn't benefiting him financially. It, it, it cost him dearly to minister to them. So that's the kind of men that they were. But Paul points something out that's quite interesting. He says that the Holy Spirit was at work with you in you. In our midst. Paul thanks God because he obviously loved and called the Thessalonians to salvation. The work of the Holy Spirit in Thessalonica continued to be evident. It was, he was working powerfully in their conversion. He says, we didn't just have fancy words. There was conviction. There was power. There was the Holy Spirit. Now, some people wonder whether there, when he's talking about power, if there was a reference there to miracles because the Apostle Paul did notable miracles or whether it was some other type of power. Uh, The jury is still out on that. I don't think it matters. I don't think it has to be an either or. Perhaps Paul did do miracles, but Luke didn't think to mention it in Acts 17. But there seems to be this recognition that when God's words sounded forth, it wasn't just words. There was a power at work. That power was the Holy Spirit, and it led to real genuine conviction. But if you can turn there, actually, all you have to do is look to the page to the right, probably, and you're in First Thessalonians chapter four, and we see that the Holy Spirit is still at work in their midst. And by the way, when we look at verses seven through t- chapter four, verse seven through 10, we see, while they are a church that is made up of Christians that they thank God for, they were not yet perfect, but God was not done with them. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Pause. One of the struggles of the Thessalonians is that they, because they had come out of a culture that had a great deal of sexual immorality, which was tied to the the idolatry of the community, this was a struggle for them. Verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Once again, pause. Paul is speaking the truth, and I suspect that when the truth is spoken to a child of God, he knows it, even if he tries to play dumb. And the way they know it's the truth is the Holy Spirit in them. So he says, listen, I'm telling you this, and I know that this is the truth, and you know it too because the Holy Spirit is speaking, and the way you could not know it is if you ignored the voice of God. Verse 9, let's continue. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. In other words, I, was, I don't need to write to you about love. You're already doing it because the Holy Spirit has taught you to do it and how to do it. Verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In other words, don't rest on the past demonstrations of love. Keep doing it and do more of it. Translation, just because you're loving doesn't mean you don't need to learn to be more loving still. I don't know if you guys have gotten the market cornered on love. I haven't. I need to grow in my ability to love. But that's what he's calling us to. Now we look at this I don't even want to emphasize this because my main point is about how to become the types of Christians that other people thank God for, but I would be quite negligent if I didn't ignore what is really the elephant in the room in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He says you're loved by God in that he chose you. Now, there's this doctrine out there called the there's this doctrine of election, the doctrine of calling, and all of this. And there's this great debate that goes on about, well, do we have free will? How do we respond? And some people emphasize one side of the equation, the sovereignty and power of God and the calling of God. And some people emphasize the response of man. Can I just tell you, the Apostle Paul, at various points, talks quite compellingly that the only reason a person comes to faith in God is that God enables you. You have nothing to bring to the table. Yet at other times, he says, repent. He puts the ball in your court. Can I just suggest that these two truths are held in tension in the Bible? You and I are called to respond to the Word of God. We are called to respond to the Holy Spirit. But guess what? When we respond, God's over there saying, I did that. All right? But let's let's dig in. The Apostle Paul, being a very Jewish man, who knows the scriptures front to back i think in the back of his mind is Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7 and 8 which also talked about pulling people out of a life of slavery to sin in a context of idolatry listen to what was said it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the lord has set his love on you and chose you In other words, it wasn't because you were so great that God saved you and called you out of slavery in Egypt. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I think he's translating those thoughts to the, the Thessalonians who also had been in slavery, although to sin and not Pharaoh. And so our salvation is a proof that God both loves and calls us. In other places, you can check it out later, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 10, he says, hey, uh, you're, you're called, you're elect, make your calling and election certain. How so? By adding faith, hope, love, and all these great other works. Because the truth is, while we may be called by God when we live without living for God, when we live like we don't believe, it would be unlikely that we would have a strong sense of security about our salvation. The the reason that the Apostle Paul mentions this this doctrine of election when he does is not to give us reasons to debate 2,000 years later. It's to tell hey Christians, hey Christian, you are a Christian not because you're so great, but because God called you. And oh yeah, God called you because he loves you. So have great confidence as you serve the Lord. You're not walking around on eggshells when you mess up. The Thessalonians sinned. They're a great church that Paul thanks God for. You're not sure if this is good enough? When you look at the Corinthians, Oh, that's a church that's messed up. Full of Christians who really messed up. And yet in the beginning he says, he calls them Saints called to be saints. He's digging deep. Now, uh, sometimes you've got to get really good at looking for the good in other people. Paul is apparently the master of this. And he calls them saints. He celebrates the work of God in their midst. Christian, you might have messed up royally, but know this. God loves you and called you to salvation. Now let's live like we are loved. Let's not retreat in a corner in fear. Yeah, we sin, we fail God. We sometimes don't live up to what we ought to be, but God calls us to be more, and He gives us the power to do this. This is work of the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm a paraphrase a quote. I love Tony Evans. He says it better than. If needs be said, Tony Evans can say it better than anybody else. He's describing the Holy Spirit. He said, a man went to the store and bought a chainsaw. He'd, he'd just been chopping with an axe, and he heard about these power saws. Apparently they were new at the time. He went to the store, but he said, hey, I heard about these power saws. I, I want to get one. So he, he gets one, he goes home the next day, and he, he starts cutting, trying to cut with this chainsaw. It's not working. He goes back to the store, and he says, this thing's a piece of junk. I, I can normally cut down, you know, five, eight trees in a day, but I, I, I can't even do one with this thing. He said, let me see it. The guy looks at it, pulls the chain, and stuff The guy goes, what's that noise? He goes, you didn't turn it on. Without the Holy Spirit calling us to salvation and enabling us to live like we are saved, we're like a chainsaw that's not been had the rope pulled. We're powerless. But Christian, you're not powerless. Transformation is possible. Maybe you're not sure when you look at it. When we look at ourselves, if you're being really honest... You and... Okay, I'll, I'll put myself on the examining table. I know I can't change me. But I've been changed. Why? The Holy Spirit who has been given to me. The same one that's been... The same person that's been given to you. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I would neither be saved nor live like we are saved. Does this mean we don't have to respond? That's not what it means. It means we have to recognize and be grateful for the fact that God has been at work in us and is still at work in us. Third thing we need to do if we want to be the type of Christian that others thank God for is to live like a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 and 7. And you became imitators of us, think disciple, and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The joy of the Holy Spirit. They, they came to faith in Christ in the midst of persecution and opposition. And they had joy. Probably wondering why I had that little picture of the cat that looks grumpy. I read this, story, as I was preparing, this verse reminded me of a story I heard. A man went up to a deacon, probably, probably a Baptist deacon. Southern Baptist, not independent. He said, hey, do you have the joy of the Lord? Yes. Tell your face then. And so we have that picture of the cat. This guy, these people had come to faith in Christ amidst great hardship and had a joy that could only be explained as having come from the Holy Spirit. I'm teasing the deacons, but I had to open my mouth for you guys to even know that I'm smiling. So my mom's the same way. Sorry, Mom, it's true. You can't tell if you're smiling or not ever. Just like your son... Paul thanks God because they believed in and followed the Lord. He said, you became imitators of me. You believed in Christ, lived for Christ, even though it cost you something. And guess what? You also were imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ because he too was suffering for righteousness' sake. So he could give salvation and redemption to sinners like, well, all of us. Salvation includes both faith, and following belief and behavior the behavior doesn't save you rather it is the byproduct of salvation that's what it so as christians we need to grow as disciples we need to be imitators the reason why i think about people that i'm thankful for it's because they stir me up to love and good works i see an example that i want to imitate uh, growing up I, I had i was thinking back memory lane here we go i had a sunday school teacher named lindy west he was, uh, I'm going to tell you, he just, like, there was like a light in his eyes. And he was the first guy I ever knew personally that had actually served in Vietnam. First guy I ever knew personally. Now, I didn't know war. I, I have a grandpa who was in, the, in, in uh, the Navy during World War II, but he stayed stateside because his brother was you know, in the theater. So like, I, didn't, I just had an assumption. I don't know how I would be if I had gone through a war. But Lindy West saw heat of battle. And there was joy in his life. Joy in his eyes. And I'm like, this dude's a man's man. Fought wars. He comes out and yet he still has this unbelievable joy. I need to be more like that. I don't even have any reason to complain. I have no reason for bitterness. Yet I often struggle with it. I want to be his imitator. Because what he's doing is imitating Christ. Find people in your life who imitate Christ and imitate them. But let's not miss the aim of the passage. Why is Paul writing this? To suck up to them? No. He wants to stir them on to continue to grow. Well, let's become increasingly the types of people that others thank God for and want to emulate. 1 Corinthians 11, one, Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What an example for us. Do you have any people in your life who you get to watch up close and see their faithfulness to the Lord? When you live like Jesus is your Lord, people will thank God for you. Finally, in verse 8 through 10, live like others are watching, because truth is they are. Verse 8 through 10. Not only has the word To come. In other words, they went places. This, this region there is talking about is describing Philippi, Ephesus, and a few other places that Paul was known to minister. He, wherever he goes, people are saying, oh, well, the Thessalonians, I heard that they believed. I heard that you guys were beat up and chased out of town. They followed you to the next town, and yet the Thessalonians still received you, still believe in Christ, and are still following him. How would you like to be the type of Christians that, after others meet you, They go to the next town, the other church, and they're still talking about you. Now listen, you guys have never met Sherry, but you have some idea what she's like. Some, most of you probably know Pastor Joe, but you've heard about a guy who loves God, loves people, works of faith, man of hope. You don't know Lindy West, but you know he survived the war and came out with a light in his eyes. That was the first guy I really thought I saw what the Holy Spirit in a person looks like. Don't you want to be Christians like that? Don't you want to be a church like that? Listen, people in this world around us, they're cold to the gospel in a lot of ways. But they're not really cold to Christians who live like Jesus does. In fact, I think they're watching, waiting to see Christians who live like Christians. Paul thanked God because their faith and faithfulness had become famous. Some people, they look at the writings of Paul and the writings of James and they think there's this. Well, some people basically looked at James's and they said, Paul says uh, salvation by grace through faith, and James is this epistle of straw, as Luther said. It's garbage. There's no there's this salvation by works. Not true. The Apostle Paul, yeah, he's salvation by grace through faith, but then faith, through faith, but he's describing a church that works, labors. James says it this way. says, Some of you say, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Because faith without works is dead. The Thessalonians were not a perfect church, but they're not a church whose faith was dead. They were alive and vibrant. The way you live your life for Christ will be noticed. The way you live your life for Christ will have an impact on others. You know, as a Christian, I... as, a, as I read this, I really thought about it in the context as I'm a dad. And so the way I live my Christian life, you better believe those kids see it. Dad, your kids see it. Mom, your kids see it. Scary thought that they would become like, well, I hope, I hope they can just skip 17 to 24 and everything will be kind of okay. We can live with 25 and beyond. Not perfect, but much better. But it isn't just my kids. I will have an impact on your kids and you, and you will have an impact on me. When I think back to people like Bruce Gastineau, this really generous guy from Ellington, never wanted to be known that he was giving so much to people. I want to be like that. He was generous and gracious about people who were not gracious about him. In his case, I got to see how... How jealousy and envy made people become ugly towards other people. Not because he was ugly, because others were ugly towards him. I want to be more like him. I want to be like Sherry. I want to be like Lindy West. I want to be like Paul Burkhart, the first man's man I ever saw. Because the reality is the way I live, my life will affect my kids. They will affect your kids. They will affect my wife, and they will most certainly affect this church. But guess what? You can say the same thing. You say, well, I'm not the pastor. Guess what? Can I tell you, oh, This is where I get in trouble, because I tell you what I know. One person who is cranky and critical in this ch- any church can ruin the work of God. I told you I saw a church that showed me what heaven on earth can look like. I also have seen how tenuous that balance is and how precious it is and how easily broken and fragile it is. All it takes is one person or a couple people to say, I don't want to do works of faith, hope, and love. I want what I want. And right now the church isn't giving it to me. I was going to be all happy and smiles and sunshine, sorry. That was the warning in there. Because we're not going to look at all Thessalonians. There's warning in here, too. The inspiration, the motivation is to remind, listen, this is a church that has a history of God working in and through it. We just heard Chad today talk about how, how, listen, you guys were not, Chad, I'm glad Chad said what he said, but Chad was not the only guy that went visiting. And I just suggest that if you called somebody or visited somebody or made a craft, you were a person that somebody else thanked God for. I know of people who last Sunday when they were leaving, the person they were visiting got teared up and choked up. Might I suggest that they thank God for their family at Calvary Baptist? So I've given you the warning about how tenuous and precious love, joy, unity heaven on earth is in a church, in a a family for that matter. But the encouragement, the exhortation, the, the reason he writes this is to stir them up to continue in faith, hope, love, and good works. And I think that's the emphasis for us as Christians. So we come to response time. For the Christian, I guess the question is, how would God have you respond to him today? Maybe you can look back to your past and say, I was more alive for Christ. Well, take note and say, God, I'm giving myself back to you. I don't know what's happened, how I, how I moved away, what's changed, whatever it is. I'm, I'm coming back to you. Determine to become the type of Christian that others thank God for. I got just a little side note. I do thank God for Calvary Baptist Church, and I thank God for it often. So do my kids. The other day, we were talking about something that we were doing at church. I always pray with my kids at night, and I said, "Don't we have a great church?" And they're like, "Oh yeah." But let's determine that's can't coast on God. We don't retire on God. The take the next step as a believer. Perhaps you want to. uh, be baptized or join Calvary Baptist Church officially. Link arms with us as we try and strive to be a church that others thank God for in this community. Finally, perhaps Chad's going to come and play a song of invitation. You know, there's an opportunity. Perhaps God is stirring your heart. Listen, I preached. And if there's something going on inside of you, there's this conviction that you know you've sinned and and Jesus Christ, His death on the cross paid for your your sins and you need to be all in with Jesus. You need to turn from your sins. I missed one part because we're running short on time. When he talks about turning from idols to serve the living God, that's conversion and repentance. That's salvation. Perhaps this morning Jesus is calling you to turn from your old life, to turn to Him in faith, to walk with Him. I want to receive you here and with you to receive Christ for salvation. If you'd like to do that or join the church or want to be baptized, you come and let me know. But now is the time to respond to God. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.